We are going to continue this morning in the book of Luke. We are going to move on to Luke chapter 10. However, our Bibles, we have these chapter and verses things, and they tend to, if you're reading a book and you come to a new chapter, it's, it's often the case, not always, but generally the case that you may be introducing new characters. A, it's, it's kind of like a, a complete change of perhaps venue or location or there's this big transition. Well, the Bible, when it was written, when Luke wrote the book of Luke, uh, there uh, no chapters, right? So the fact is that what's going on at the end of Luke chapter 9 is a discussion about these three people who were in the who were candidates to be disciples of Christ. Well, that subject does not change. That, there's no change of subject. When we get to chapter 10, even though in our minds we might kind of make this big break, don't. There's no break. We're still talking about the issue of disciples. What was going on at the end of chapter 9 just moves right into chapter 10. Uh, it probably is not a good place to make a big chapter change. Uh, but... So what happens at the end of chapter 9 is that we saw, remember we saw three people. This was last week. We saw three people. But we had the scribe who came to Jesus and said, I'd be willing to follow you anywhere. And Jesus looks at him and says, oh, are you sure? Because, you know, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. But, you know, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So if you want to follow me, if you want to be a true disciple and actually pursue me, and, and follow in the footsteps that I'm taking, well, I got news for you. There's, you're not going to get health or wealth or prosperity. In fact, I can't even guarantee you any kind of security in this world. I, there's no knowing where you're going to lay your head tonight. So if you're thinking that joining Jesus for some kind of great thing that's going to be going on in this life, prosperity or fame or something like that, Jesus is looking at him like, that's not going to happen. That I'm not promising you any such thing. In fact, if anything, Jesus has already got done saying, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross daily and follow me. You're going to have to die to yourself. If you're looking to follow Jesus to, for what you're going to get out of it in this life, uh, not, a, not, not a good move here. Jesus discourages this guy who is like, well, okay, you, you want to follow me? Fine, but just be aware. I don't even know where I'm going to put my head down tonight. So do you still want to follow me? And what we know about this guy is we never hear anything about him again. The next guy, Jesus, actually points to the next guy. Jesus has lots of, everywhere Jesus goes is a crowd, right? He's doing miracles. He is preaching the truth. And there are people who are drawn to that. There are people who are drawn to Jesus. He fascinates them. Uh, There's things going on. Jesus is healing people and he's preaching truth. And Jesus is a person who draws people. So he looks at someone and says, uh, why don't you come follow me? And the guy says, well, okay, I mean, I am following you, but I know what you're asking. You're asking me to just leave everything and follow you. Tell you what, let me go home first and bury my father, and then I'll come follow you. And, of course, if you think about that for a moment, in first century, in Palestine, in the first century, when people died, they immediately buried them. It was certainly less than 24 hours. 
mean, if you died at night, they got around to burying you as soon as they could the next morning. There's, there's no refrigeration. There's no, I mean, just think about the burial of Jesus, right? They wrap him up in the robe and immediately start packing spices around him. I'll let your imagination think about exactly why they do that. That is what, that was standard practice in the first century. So you kind of look at the guy and like, your father dying? I mean, if your father is already dead, then you'd be at the funeral right now. Uh, I'm burying him. And if he's not dead, well, what are you waiting for? Oh, you want to go home and make sure that you're a good son and that you get, what, the inheritance? You You clearly have something you're going to put before your following of Jesus. So, nope, that's let, and, and Jesus, as he often does, states with great clarity, let the dead bury the dead. Let those who are spiritually dead You need to be spiritually alive. You need to determine that spiritual truth is much more important than anything that's going on in this world. If you're looking to get your financial house in order before you come follow me, you're not going to follow me. If if that's the conditions, if you've got conditions, well, I'll follow Jesus just as soon as. Whatever you follow that with, that means with the time you get around to whatever that just as soon as, you're probably never going to follow Jesus. And, of course, the next guy. The next guy, Jesus says to him, follow me. And, and he also says, well, let me go back and say goodbye to all my family. Let me, let me kind of get my family relationship settled. Let me, let me, okay, if you've got to go back and straighten everything out with your family and get all of your family relationships settled, what's going to happen is, you know, I've got to run this by my mom and make sure she's okay. Or who in the world knows you're going to run it by? But by the time you get done running it by them, chances are very good. You're, not, you're just going to go home and that's going to be it. Oh, that's right, I was going to follow Jesus, he's gone. I mean, if you've got excuses for following Jesus, those things are just going to continue on. You're going to keep having excuses. Where, what happens to these people? We never see them again. That's what happens to these people. They, they never show up again. Now we come to chapter 10. Well, what happens in chapter 10? Now, after this, after we could go back, Quite a ways, any number of events have occurred. But now, after this, Jesus looks out to the group of people who are following him and he actually appoints 70, which is actually good math, right? We, we get an example here of three people who didn't want to follow Jesus. They had reasons and excuses and they come up with all kinds of stuff as to why they can't actually really be the disciples they need to be. But there are 70. He pulls out 70 people, uh, some by the way, your, your translation may say 72. There's some discussion from the manuscript evidence. Some of them say 70. Some of them say 72. It's not exactly the end of the world. 70 is good. The 70 elders Moses appointed, probably. Uh, anyway, that, that's not really theologically significant. So he calls the 70, and he appoints them. Now, these people are in a complete contrast to the three we just looked at. And probably the three we looked at, who knows how many there actually were. I mean, Jesus may have asked any number of people. Every word of Jesus is hardly recorded, right? We know that Jesus said all kinds of things. He did all kinds of stuff. The one sermon that we have, the Sermon on the Mount, is a, is a pretty good lengthy sermon. Most of the sermons of Jesus as recorded are just... Just, you know, small little snippets. There's no doubt Jesus spoke probably for hours. He spoke a long time. He, he spoke to people. And so lots of things happened. He, who knows how many people he may have called to be disciples who came up with who knows how many excuses. 
But the fact is there were 70 people there who he calls, who said, yes, yes. So he says to them, verse 2, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers, however, are few. So I want you to beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This immediately prompts us to ask the question, what, what harvest? Exactly what harvest is he talking about? You might be tempted initially to think, without really thinking about it, well, he's talking about the gathering in of, of those whom God has called. He's talking about gathering in the church. He's talking about, I mean, he's sending out missionaries, so he must be talking about them going out and gathering in those who have been called of God, those who have been chosen, those, and, and they're going to go out and they're going to harvest them. You might think that until you think a little harder. And then you, as you really start thinking about it, wait, who is the Lord of the harvest? Clearly, Jesus is the Lord of the harvest, and the harvest is the whole crop. The harvest is going to be plenteous. It's going to be a huge harvest, a massive harvest. The laborers are just few, and they're obviously not up to the task of bringing in the whole harvest. So you're kind of left with a conundrum here if you think that this has to do with the gathering in of the believers. Because there's not enough people to go out, and if the whole harvest is all the believers, then, okay, what you need to do is actually turn back to the Old Testament for a minute and look at, to the, remember, to the Jewish mind here, they're going to look back to their Old Testament. They don't have the New Testament, although we'll look at that too in a minute and you'll see. So if you look back, Joel chapter 3, verse 12, says this, Let the nations be aroused and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat. I'll sit to judge and all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. When you put in the sickle to reap the harvest... This is a sign of judgment. This is the judgment of God. Come, tread, for the winepress is full, the vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. The day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon will grow dark. The stars lost their brightness as the Lord roars from Zion. This is the harvest. This is what the harvest is. The harvest is the end of the age. The harvest is when Jesus comes back. This is the final day of judgment. Maybe you're not convinced. Okay, let's look at what more Jesus says in Matthew chapter 13. Talking about the tares and the wheat, remember? He says, you know, we're going to plant the wheat, and then they come and they say, the enemy has sown tares among the wheat, so what should we do? Should Should we remove out the tares? He's like, no. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. Until the end. And in the time of the harvest, I'll say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them and and bundles and burn them and gather the wheat into my barn. And he'll, this is the end of the age. He'll go on just a few verses later and he'll say this. The enemy who sowed the tares is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. 
as if we needed it stated more clearly. There it is, Jesus stating, the harvest is the end of the age, the reapers are the angels. The reapers are going to reap the entire world. It's all going to be reaped in. Therefore, just as the tares are gathered and burned with fire, so it shall be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels. They'll gather out of his kingdom all the stumbling blocks, all those who commit lawlessness, and cast them into the furnace of fire, where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So when Jesus says the harvest is great, but the laborers are few, the harvest is great because it's everybody. The harvest is all the world at the moment, by the way. The harvest would be in the billions. We have billions of people in this world. And when God gets around to reaping the harvest, it's going to be a pretty devastating moment. If we turn to the book of Revelation, Revelation 14, I looked and behold a white cloud, and sitting on the cloud was one like the Son of Man, which of course is Jesus, having a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle. Hmm, sounding familiar, isn't it? And... Another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap. For the hour to reap has come because the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he who sat on the cloud, the son of man, Jesus, swung his sickle over the earth and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, and he he also had a sharp sickle. Then another angel, the one who had power over fire, came out of the altar and he cried with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, put your sickle your sharp sickle in and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth because their grapes are ripe. Gather them up. And this is the passage where the wine press is trodden under the wrath of God and the wine like blood comes out up to the horse's bridle for a length of 200 miles, the valley of Armageddon. That is the harvest. So, we come back to our passage. Jesus is looking at his at the 70, and he's saying to them, you know, there is a harvest. There is a huge harvest. And what we need to do is before this harvest gets reaped, before the reaper shows up and decimates this place, I need to send laborers out there, and we need to, we need to get some gathering going on here. We need to rescue some people out of this wrath which is coming. Jesus is trying to help his disciples, the 70 in particular, but he tells the 12 the exact same thing. Without turning back there, if you can read it, he tells them the exact same thing. That there's this harvest and that you better get out there and you had better gather in. I want you to go out into every city and I want you to proclaim to them. I want you to talk to them. I want you to tell them. The harvest is coming. The wrath of God is coming. We tend to refer to it as the grim reaper, and I guess it is grim. And you might somehow think that it's the devil holding the side. Uh, Not so much. Death is the judgment of God. That is the judgment of God. He told Adam, don't sin. The day in which you sin, you will die. Death is the judgment of God on mankind for our wickedness. But here's the thing. Jesus has got the 70 and the 12 and saying to them, look, I want you to go out. I want you to let people know that the king is coming. I'm sending you ahead. 
I want you to go out there. Now, these aren't necessarily the 70. Verse 1, now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going. I want you to go, you guys go out and you're the people who prepare. You lay the groundwork. I'm going to show up. Now, this was common in that day and age. By the way, if you stop and think about it, it's common in our day and age. You may just not have been part of an event like this. If, for instance, the president of the United States is going to go somewhere, oh, they send an advance team. It's made up of who knows how many people, hundreds, maybe thousands. They all show up, and I mean they prepare the place. We, the, the president of the United States is going to show up. We need to get prepared. And so they, you know, the security and, and all of that stuff, all of that preparation occurs. Any kind of dignitary that would show up, and of course in the first century, if a dignitary were to come, you would go to the city and you would say, all right, everybody, get, you all need to be prepared. Uh, we're going to actually have a, a big Roman official is going to come here. And when he gets here, you know, it's going to be in our best interest since the Romans control taxes and all of that good stuff. You know, if we make a really good showing, who knows, this guy might give us a tax break or something. This is not the moment for everybody to show up with rocks and pelt the guy. I mean, this is the moment to show up and cheer and holler. And you, you need to be prepared. And it was common. You would send an advanced team to go and, and lay the groundwork. Well, Jesus is sending out the 70 to do the exact same thing. He is the king. I need you to go. I need you to declare that the king is coming. You're going to go and you're going to let them know that the kingdom of heaven has appeared in their town. And we'll look more at that next week. You were to go and, and to speak to folks. Let them know the king is arriving. And oh, by the way, there is going to be a harvest. The fact is, there's a harvest every day. Every day, thousands of people on this earth step off this planet and enter into eternity. It happens all the time. You may know wicked people. You may know people who are your enemies. You may know people who you just think, why in the world are they still here? Uh, don't worry. Don't worry. The harvest, it will come get them. Every day there's a harvest. There's going to be the harvest. That's future. Hasn't got here yet. That's when the king comes back. Everybody thinks, the Jews in particular thought, well, when our Messiah comes, it'll be wonderful. Um, you know, when Jesus comes back, for those who believe, it is going to be wonderful. For those who don't believe, uh, they're literally going to run into the day, uh, dens and caves of the earth and plead with the rocks to fall on them and to hide them from the wrath of the Lamb who has come. That's the day of harvest. That's the day that's coming. And Jesus knows that this day is coming. He's the guy coming. And so he's sending out his disciples and saying to them, you need to go out and you need to prepare people. You need to let people know that this event is going to arrive. You need to let know, folks know. This, by the way, these, these are not necessarily preachers. These are not necessarily people who are going to stand on street corners and, and declare. These could very well be men as well as women. These are simply people who go out and they declare that Jesus is the king and that he is coming, and that you need to be prepared for that. Remember, the, remember John the Baptist? Remember the message of John the Baptist? What exactly did John the Baptist say? Well, here's what he said back in Luke chapter 3. 
It's written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. If the path is crooked, make it straight. If, if it's really steep downhill and uphill, the ravines, fill them. Knock down the tops and fill in the bottoms and make, make it smooth. Every ravine shall be filled up and every mountain and hill shall be brought low and the crooked shall be straight and the rough road smooth. Why? We're going to get prepared. We need to be prepared. Jesus is coming back. Prepare. Which is why when the scribes and Pharisees came there and stood and, you know, just kind of looked at John the Baptist, he said to them, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Because clearly you're not really prepared. You guys are not prepared. You guys are standing there and listening to, the, to John's message, but you're not coming down here. You're not getting baptized. You're not, coming, you're not repenting. So you're not really prepared for the actual coming of the Messiah because when he gets here, if you weren't prepared, it's not going to go well. This is what preparation looks like, and this is what Jesus has sent the 12 out to do, and this is what he's sending the 70 out to do. I mean, wouldn't it be great when Jesus comes back if the whole world welcomed him with open arms. Wow, we've just been waiting for Jesus to come. The book of Revelation actually makes it quite clear that when Jesus comes, it's going to be open rebellion, open warfare. If anything, they're all going to unite together under the Antichrist to go to war with Jesus. That's why at the harvest, which occurs at that time, that he tramples down the grapes of wrath and the blood runs to the depth of the horse's bridle. Why? Well, because they don't really want Jesus to come back. Not like that. Not to come in great power. They, they don't want to know it. So Jesus sends out the 70. And he says to them, you know, the harvest is plenteous. The laborers are few. So here's what I want you to do. I want you... I'm going to send you 70 out, and I want you to pray and to beseech the Lord of the harvest that he will send out more laborers. Think about this for a moment. This is Jesus. Who is going to be bearing the sickle at the harvest? Jesus. Who is the judge? Jesus is the judge. He's the judge. He's the one that's going to condemn the world. John 5. Just as the Father has life in himself, even so, he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment. Because he is the Son of Man. Jesus is the judge. When the world stands at the great white throne judgment, and the books are open, everything is looked at, the person sitting on the throne is Jesus. So the judge is looking at his 70 and saying, I need you to go out and I need you to warn people I'm coming. I want you to prepare people that I'm coming. And what I want you to do is pray to me that I will send out more people who will warn more people that I'm coming. Jesus does not delight in destroying the wicked. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The judge himself is asking, that, pray, talk to me, says Jesus, and beseech me to send out even more laborers out into the harvest and to gather up the saints before the judgment falls. Pray to me. Pray to the judge. Why? Because Jesus knows what's coming. In fact, 
Jesus so desires people to not fall under his wrath that he came and died. The judge died to save the wicked from his wrath. That's the gospel. That's the message. The judge came down here and died for the convicted, for those who are guilty, for those who are going to stand before him condemned. He died for them so that they wouldn't have to be condemned. And he's sending out the 70 to say, prepare people, let them know. This is the heart of evangelism. This is what should drive us and will drive us to share with people the gospel. This is the gospel. The gospel is you are going to spend eternity either under the blessing of God or the wrath of God. We, we don't really like the word hell. I mean, we don't, we don't, we don't like that word. It, it makes us uncomfortable. But the fact is, a lot of people are going to spend eternity there. And we need to warn them. We need to let them know the judge is coming. We need to be moved with compassion. Jesus is moved with compassion. Jesus is sending people out to let people know and to warn them. Judgment is coming. That's what's happening here. You need to be serious about being a disciple. You need to be serious about Jesus you need to be aware that there is the return of Christ. So get out there into the harvest. Go let people know. Think carefully about where everyone is going to be for eternity. Now, the the thing about evangelism, we can do apologetics. I, I have a great apologetics class. I, I love teaching it. I, I love talking to people about the foundations of our faith and how we know the Bible is true and various arguments we may be able to bring forward to help people understand that, that God exists and that that is not at all an unreasonable proposition. Uh, it's a great time. You will come away much more confident in the, in the scriptures that you have in front of you and your knowledge and your belief, you will, you will be much uh, firmer in your belief and have a, a bigger foundation you'll be standing on. But you know what? We can teach you the Romans road. We, we can show you how to present the gospel. But the fact is, none of that is going to make you open your mouth. Even though if you open your mouth, you may have a great gospel presentation. You, you may have a good understanding of various religions and various views and philosophies and how things work. And you, know, you may know all of that. You may have this great foundation. But the fact is, when the moment comes, you won't open your mouth if you don't care about the people in front of you. If you haven't sat and thought about the fact that this person in front of me is going to spend eternity under the wrath of God, if, if I don't say something, then you won't say anything. We need to be moved to say something. That's why Jesus sent out the 70. Unfortunately, we, we may spend more time going back and looking at the three guys who didn't quite really go and say, well, you know, they were actually disciples, even though they didn't really, you know, go. They, they were still disciples because, you know, you may look at them and think, well, I reflect them much more than I do the 70. <laughs> um, hopefully not, right? So... 
And this is what Jesus says to them. Look, I, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. You are the sheep that I'm sending over there to the wolf pack. And you're going to stand in the middle of the wolf pack and you're going to let the wolves know that the shepherd is coming. He's not here, by the way. He hasn't arrived yet. But you're going to stand there as a sheep and let all the wolves know that the shepherd is coming. And just exactly how do you think that might go? Well, it doesn't require a lot of imagination, right? If you're arriving as a sheep trying to convince the wolves that the shepherd is going to soon appear, well, you're probably going to get eaten. Yeah, yeah, you probably are. The wolves are probably going to attack you. And that's exactly what Jesus says to them. I send you out as lambs among wolves. This is the exact contrast between the 70 and the three. You see, the three kind of got, I mean, they, they, they understood that. Jesus made it very clear. Take up your cross, follow me, die to yourself daily. The message I'm about to give you, they knew that the nation had rejected it. And Jesus is like, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to take that message and you're going to have to face rejection. Rejection from your family, rejection from your leaders. You're going to have to face rejection. Are you ready to do that? And all three of them are like, oh, no, I, you know, now that you mentioned it, I think I've got some other things I need to be doing. That is the exact problem. 70? The 70, I sent you like wolves among the sheep, which is why the three didn't want to go. I mean, they, they got the idea, yeah, oh no, if we said yes, he's going to send us out like, like lambs in the middle of the wolves. Um, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what he's going to do. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. You want to follow me, you're going to be a sheep in the midst of wolves. Let the dead be concerned about the dead. You need to come and preach the coming of the king of life. And if you think your family is going to be a problem and you think somehow you're going to get everything right with them before you come do this, you're never going to come do this because your whole family is never going to be good with this. You'll always find someone else who's upset about the fact that you want to be a Christian and follow Christ. Jesus sends them out there exactly like he says. In fact, he goes on and says to them, I don't want you to carry any money belt. I don't want you to carry a bag or shoes. And by the way, don't greet anybody on the way. Now, you might think, wow, he, don't even, he wants us to be rude. Don't even say hi to people. That's not what he means. In the first century, when you greeted people, I mean, just come on in, sit down, get by the fire, uh, stay for supper. And when you get up in the morning, it's like, oh, we'll just stay for breakfast. And, well, don't run off just yet. I mean, you know, it's, the sun is out now. It's really hot. I just hang around for lunch and then hang around for supper again. And the next thing you know, you've been there three days. That's greeting people. That was a standard thing. I mean, just, you know, look at your Old Testament. Look at, look at Jacob trying to get away from Laban. There's a variety of times this event occurs. Uh, no, just keep going. I mean, he's not saying you can't say hi, but don't get distracted. I'm sending you out there to all of these various cities, and you need to go. I don't want you to carry a money belt. They probably have a few coins kicking around in some pocket in their robe, but if you're actually going to carry real live wealth, in fact, even today, if you want to actually carry a good-sized chunk of cash, you should probably get a money belt. Put that thing around your waist, and you, that's where you carry real wealth. Don't, don't bring one of those. Don't bring a belt, a bag. No knapsack, no backpack, no, no little bag full of stuff. You know, Don't carry around a bunch of stuff. This is not that moment. You're not going to take stuff with you. You're not going to take money with you. You're not even going to take an extra pair of shoes. So 
you know, if your robe rips or your shoe wears out, you are just going to be dependent upon God. This is the 70. This is why the three didn't want to go. I think, oh no, we're not doing that. That sounds way too much like work. We're not doing that. The 70, yes. The 70, off they go in pairs. And they go out and they do exactly what Jesus said. They don't bring any provisions. And of course, what happens? Well, this is what commitment looks like. They get out there and they are committed. And they go out and God provides for them. Now, we know later in the book of Luke, we'll get there and spend some time when we get to that passage. Later, this is kind of like boot camp. This is kind of like that moment where we deliberately make your life really difficult so that you can see that you can make it even when it's really difficult. And then we get on to just normal life and there'll be the moment, bring your bag and bring extra money. And if you don't have a sword, sell something and get one and, you know, be wise and and protect yourself and all. But if the moment ever comes that you find yourself destitute with nothing, you'll be able to remember that, well, even that, God is still with me. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out and to preach and to tell people, be prepared. Now stop and think for just a minute about our present situation. We have a virus. It's a worldwide pandemic. It's quite deadly to a particular segment of the population. There's a group of people who should be pretty worried about this. If you get it, uh, you're going to have extreme breathing difficulties. It attacks the lungs, and it can be deadly to a portion of the population. In preparation for that, what did we do? We shut down the country. We, We closed businesses. We basically declared, we didn't use the term, but martial law. I mean, almost. Go in your house, stay there, don't go out. I mean, you can put a lot of labels on that, but, uh, you know, if you go out, we're going to send someone to come after you. So that's what we did. Why? In preparation for a virus. In preparation for this pandemic, which was going to, and, and they yet, by the way, sweep through our nation. It is a deadly disease. It's a virus. We need to treat it with respect. We should be prepared. It is appropriate that we maintain social distance, that we try to avoid getting or giving this virus. That is a wise and prudent thing to do. And we should act accordingly. But you know, this virus can only kill your body. There is something coming that is much worse than this virus ever thought of being. It is the eternal condemnation of God. The wrath of God is coming. We need to let the world know. They need to be aware. They need to be prepared. Isn't it interesting? We'll shut down the country because, oh, some people might die. Really, what do you want to do about the coming of Jesus? Oh, Yeah, Ah, we're not paying any attention to that. It's like Santa Claus coming or something. I don't, you know, we don't, we don't care about Jesus. We don't, he he hasn't come back yet. When is he ever going to come back? Hmm, sounds familiar, doesn't it? What is the sign of his coming? Yeah. The fact is, Jesus is coming. 
if you look at the world and you look at where we are and you look at where we're going and you think, just how much longer can we keep this up? The world is prepared, even now, for the arrival of an antichrist who would unite them all. It requires no imagination whatsoever to think about the fact that you might need a mark on the back of your hand or your forehead in order to buy or sell. It doesn't even, in fact, it's surprising it isn't here yet. In fact, you wonder if this particular pandemic is all part of the plan of God to prepare us for what is to come. And it may not come for quite a while. It may not. But the fact is, it's a dry run. It's kind of a test here. What do we do in the midst of a great national tragedy? Well, and kind of find out we are extremely compliant. We should be, by the way. But we are. We need to warn the world that there is something much worse than a virus. There's the wrath of God. You don't have to, you don't have to be angry about it. You don't even have to be unfriendly about it. In fact, the friendliest thing you can do, be kind, be compassionate, be loving. Have compassion on people and let them know that is the entire point of evangelism. You tell people because you love them. You don't have to get mad at them. You don't have to get angry with them. You don't have to be angry with the world or angry how the world acts. They are who they are. They do what they do. They're sinners. That's how it is. It's okay. What you need to do, though, is help them understand that there is salvation. That Jesus, yes, he's coming back and it's, there's going to be great judgment, but it doesn't have to fall on you. You can be saved from the wrath of God. The judge has died so that you won't be condemned. It's the message we need to take forward. And this is a great opportunity. We are looking at a wonderful opportunity to share. Oh, look at how much preparation we gave on this potential thing of death. Yeah, but what happens after you die? Are we prepared for that? I mean, we're prepared to keep living. Are you prepared to die? Because if you're not prepared to die, then who cares if you get another 50 years of living? Because even if you get another 50, 70, who knows how long? Eventually, you're still going to die. And the question is, are you prepared for that? That's what we are sent to do. We are sent to herald. We are sent to tell. We are sent to let the world know. Just like the 70, we can be like the 70. We are to go out and to pray that God will send forth laborers to gather those folks and to let them know the king is coming. And when he gets here, if you're not prepared and you're not ready for him to be your king and you have not declared him to be the king of light and the king of your life and you have not come to him, it is not going to go well. All of us can share that. If you know enough to get saved, you know enough to share the gospel with somebody else for them to get saved. And that's why this passage is here. It's the compassion of Jesus. It's the love of Jesus that causes him to send out the 70. Have compassion on the nation. Have compassion on the world. Have compassion on your friends and neighbors and family. And warn them. Let them know. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would give us the wisdom to know how to declare the message in a way that the world can hear, but... Understand that perhaps no matter how we declare it, they're still wolves and we're still lambs. And there may not be a way to declare it in such a way that the world welcomes the message. The fact is, they may dislike us, push us away, ostracize us, persecute us. They may very well 
make our lives enormously difficult, no matter how kind we are and how gracious and how loving we are. But may we share the message in a kind and gracious and loving way anyway. And Lord, we do pray that you would send forth laborers to go out and to tell people that you are coming back. And it is an event they can be prepared for. They can repent. They can thank you for dying for them. They can thank you for being the judge who gave his life to save the condemned. May that be a message that is quick to our lips. And may we share it, even though the people we share with don't want to hear it. May we share it kindly and graciously anyway. Help us, Lord, to truly be evangelists, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.